You're listening to the Harborside Church Podcast. To connect with us online, go to www.harborside.org. We hope you enjoy this message. Good morning, everybody. It's good to see you this morning. Welcome to church today as we start our new series, Teach Us to Pray, diving into the richness of what we now call the Lord's Prayer. I love that video. Don't you love that video? If you haven't picked it up yet, those voices are our very own Harborside people. Did you pick that up? You might have picked up some different ages in there, some different accents, and I love it. I love that. Um, thank you to Mike Hill, who really helped put that together, and thank you, Harborside people, for lending your voices to what it's such a beautiful prayer. Coming into a, a teaching series on prayer, I, I want to talk a bit about and Caleb really brought up this topic as he was sharing before, I want to ask, how are you feeling? How do you feel when you see up here, teach us to pray, coming into a series on prayer? What are you feeling? What comes to mind? Hopefully eager to learn, yep, ready to put into practice what Jesus has to teach us about prayer. I hope that's part of it. But if we're honest, maybe a little bit conflicted too. Maybe a little bit conflicted. Many Christians, we have an interesting relationship with prayer because prayer can be hard. Prayer can be hard. I want to ask you, have you ever battled with feelings of guilt when it comes to prayer? I should be praying more. I should be praying more consistently. You know, I probably should be praying for better things. I, I should be praying longer. Maybe you've been frustrated at times with prayer. You know, you've tried to pray, you've set time aside, you've got distracted quickly, the mind wanders. Maybe you've just been through times of feeling tired. And there are times in our lives when we are physically tired, right? Young kids, work is crazy. Sometimes it's hard to prioritize these things like prayer. And sometimes we just feel spiritually low, don't we? We kind of, we, we try and pray and we just feel like maybe our prayers are bouncing off the ceiling, return to sender. We also might just not really understand the, the, the place of prayer in the Christian life of how important it is. You know, why should we pray? I mean, why is it important? Maybe we've never been taught. Maybe we forget. You know, I think we, we can be reluctant to pray sometimes. And this might be tied to our presumed, assumed self-sufficiency, maybe. You know, some parts of the world, sorry, some parts of the church around the world are alive with prayer. The wealthy West, maybe not as much. Are we under the illusion we don't need God as much as our brothers and sisters in other parts of the world? <laughs> what are we missing out on if we believe that to be true? Jesus says a lot. I mean, let's face it. We also live in a world, society, community, whatever you want to call it, that isn't warm to God. We're not under persecution, but the things of God aren't encouraged right? It's the air we breathe, the water we swim in. It doesn't encourage faith. And I tell you what, we can be plagued by godless cynicism. 
when we try and pray. We, we hear, I hear it sometimes, the voice of my God isn't real. <laughs> Prayer doesn't work. Prayer doesn't change things. You're wasting your time. The lies of the devil can get to us as well. Why would God listen to a sinner like you? You know, sometimes we struggle to pray because we are feeling far from God. And funnily enough, feeling far from God is often directly related to our lack of prayer. Prayer is a wrestle and a struggle. But take heart, we are not alone. The Holy Spirit dwells within us. We are not alone. But let's be real before we start a whole term on prayer, on the Lord's Prayer. Let's be real. And let's admit, prayer can be a struggle. It can be a wrestle. As is the Christian life, right? If you don't know that, maybe you haven't been a Christian very long. You haven't tried praying in a little while. So, what do we need? What do we do? i tell you what we don't really need. We don't primarily need tips and tricks and techniques. I absolutely back up what Caleb said before about it, tr- mixing things up, right? Trying different things, fun. I went for a paddleboard on Friday for a couple of hours and I, was, I tried to pray as I was there, thanking God for everything I saw. Tried to pray through the Lord's Prayer as a pattern. I'll get to that in a second. Mix it up, absolutely. But primarily, I don't think we necessarily need tips and tricks and techniques. I tell you what we don't need. We don't need to be guilted by people like me just telling you to pray more because you should, right? What Caleb talked about, guilting us into spiritual practices. They work for a time, but doesn't produce lasting change. So what do we need? This is what we need. We need a fresh appreciation of God. Okay? In order to breathe life into our prayer lives, we must focus on God himself. Sounds so obvious. The one we're praying to. We need God. (laughs) We need to explore his amazing character, his wonderful plans. That's the aim of this series, not heaping up guilt, but drawing our eyes to our good God so that we might come to him in prayer. So, before we start this series, before we embark, I'm going to ask a request of every single one of us. I'm going to ask that we set aside the feelings of guilt, Okay? We set aside the feelings of guilt, of inadequacy, of doubt when it comes to prayer. Because I don't think they profit us much, and I do not believe that is what God wants for us. Instead, I'm going to extend an invitation. Instead, I'm going to invite you to enter this series with simple, childlike faith. And I'm going to encourage us to do exactly what the disciples do, when they see Jesus praying. In Luke 11, Jesus' disciples have witnessed his life and ministry. They've they've seen him pray. They've heard him pray. There's something different about this guy. He prays differently. And so what do they say? They say these words, Lord, teach us to pray. Lord, 
Teach us to pray. The champion golfer, Jack Nicholas, every year would go back to his golf coach, even when he was on top, even when he was unbeatable, even when he was the best, every year before the season starts, he would go to his golf coach and say, teach me how to play golf. Love that humility, don't you? Teach me how to play golf. Because he knew mastering the foundational elements of the game is crucial. Now, you may have been a Christian for decades or days. doesn't matter. Each of us can come to our Lord in humility and pray this prayer. Lord, teach us to pray. Or teach me again to pray. Would you pray that with me now? It's my prayer. I hope it's yours. That's what we're going to do right now. I invite you to do this with me. Let's undertake this journey together as a church, as we pray to our Father together. So let's stop. I invite you to close your eyes, bow your heads, and let's pray. Heavenly Father, as we start this series together as your people, we come before you with this simple request. Lord, teach us to pray. Amen. In Jesus' name. The Lord's Prayer is a model and a pattern for prayer. You can pray it like it is or use it as a guide. And in this series, each week, we're going to take one line from this most famous of prayers and pause and seek to mine the depths of each part to enrich our prayer lives. That's what we're going to do. I'm looking forward to this. We don't have to include these exact words or rigidly follow this structure in every prayer, yet every Christian prayer ought to be informed and shaped by the Lord's Prayer. Caleb mentioned these resources we've produced. It's an invitation. Come with us and let's together focus on enriching our prayer lives. This morning, we look at the first line, our Father in heaven. And right before Jesus teaches his disciples this most famous of prayers in Matthew 6, he gives them a bit of teaching beforehand, some do's and don'ts as a guide to prayer in general. We heard it in the reading, Nikki read it, and we're going to look at that quickly before we dive into specifically the first line. So we're going to do that together. Are you ready? Here we are. What does Jesus teach his disciples generally about prayer? A couple of things. What are they? First thing, verse 5 of Matthew 6. And when you pray, don't be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by others. Truly, I tell you, they have received their reward in full. First thing to learn is what not to do. When you pray, don't look for inspiration at the religious leaders of the day. What are they? They are hypocrites. Pretty harsh words from Jesus. But that's how Jesus summarizes the religious folk of the day. Hypocrites. Why? Well, that word comes, hypocrite, comes from ancient Greece. 
and was used for a play actor, someone in the theatre who wore a mask and played a part. They were a hypocrite. And I think that meaning kind of crosses over to today in English, doesn't it? Right? A hypocrite, someone who acts one way in public and another in private. Maybe a, a vocal vegetarian who snacks on bacon at home. Someone who publicly promotes family values, secretly sleeps around. Someone who talks about being generous financially, but if you were to look at their bank account, they're actually really stingy. Maybe a, a South African who says he now supports the Wallabies, but actually cheers for the Springboks at home. Yeah, yeah, we, we know, we know. Lies. And hypocrites, right, often act for the applause and esteem of others. Let's be honest for a moment. There's a hypocrite in all of us on this subject. I read, this is a bit of a tangent, but I read it this week. I couldn't not include it. I found it so helpful. Hypocrisy on this topic. This is what hypocrisy is not. Hypocrisy isn't praying when you don't feel like it. Hypocrisy isn't turning up to church and serving and encouraging your brothers and sisters when you don't feel like it. Hypocrisy is not giving generously when you don't feel like it. That's not hypocrisy. That's faithfulness. There is a big difference. Jesus, all his teaching on prayer, talks nothing about what you're feeling because our feelings, if you're anything like me, they change a lot. They're not unimportant. We just don't want to be driven by them. You don't feel like praying. Don't feel like turning up a church. Don't feel like it. Yeah, okay, I get it. But we do it because that's faithfulness. That's not hypocrisy. Hypocrisy is living a double life. And that's what these religious leaders are doing. They're praying for show. They're praying for the accolades of others. It's got nothing to do with God. There's no vertical things happening. It's all horizontal. They're praying to be seen, to be doing the right thing. And unfortunately, religion and, and even the church can be a place where people seek the approval of others through good and even godly things. And it has nothing to do with God. It's a shame. And when people do this, Jesus says they have received their reward in full because the applause they get from others, it's what they're aiming for and it's all they get. Now, I remember being asked to pray um, while I was at uni, at university, at a leaders meeting um, for the on-campus Christian group. And it was a particularly big meeting. Lots of leaders, guest speakers were there. I was asked to pray. I was sort of flattered but super nervous as well. And uh, so what did I do? I made sure that that prayer was theologically rigorous and linguistically rich. I quoted Bible verses. I think I quoted church fathers. I, I, I sounded as pious and spiritually knowledgeable as possible. And I was exactly how Jesus describes those religious leaders. My prayer had very little to do with God and a lot to do with impressing the people in the room, which I'm sure I didn't do. You see what Jesus is saying here? What does he say? He continues, but when you pray, 
Go into your room, close the door, and pray to your Father who is unseen. Then your Father, who sees what is done in secret, will reward you. It's not about impressing others. (laughs) There is a place for corporate prayer. Absolutely. But when we do that, it's about praying to our Father. It's about connecting with our Heavenly Father, which in itself is a great reward. Do we trust Him in that? Do we believe that? Second thing Jesus teaches before he teaches the Lord's Prayer, he says this, and when you pray, don't don't go on babbling like pagans. For they think they'll be heard because of their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask him. Isn't that beautiful? When you pray, don't look to the religious leaders of the day for inspiration. Also, don't look at the practices of the religions around them at the time. Don't model yourself off them. Let me ask you a question. On what basis do you think God hears our prayers? Why does he hear you? On what basis? Oh, it's measured on how fervent we are. How many words we use, how long we pray for, the certain words we use in a certain order at a certain time of day facing it. No. He hears our prayers. Why? Because of who he is. This reminds me of the story of Elijah and the prophets of Baal in 1 Kings chapter 18. You might know it, and if you don't, I encourage you to read it. It is a great story. It's a great story at a time when faith was very low in Israel. Many people had turned away from God and worshipped the false god Baal. Elijah hadn't. He wanted to be faithful. He worshipped the true God. And so he set up a test, as you do. (laughs) He set up a test. The test was simple. Whose God would answer their prayer and light the sacrifice on the altar? A prayer off if you will. So they set up the altar with the sacrifice. The prophets of Baal go first. Elijah says, you guys go first. So they start praying to Baal, their God. They dance and shout and chant for hours all morning. Nothing happens. And then my favorite part of the story, Elijah taunts them. He taunts them. Read it. Hey, maybe your God's asleep. You probably need to wake him up. Pray louder, shout louder. And they take the bait. The rest of the day, they pray, dance. They cut themselves. They bleed to try and get the attention of a God who doesn't exist. They pray themselves into a frenzy. They go crazy. Of course, nothing happens. It's Elijah's turn next. He prays simply, less than a paragraph. He prays simply to the God that he knows, the God who is real, brings his request before God, and immediately God consumes the altar and the sacrifice with fire, immediately. Friends, we don't need to babble on heaping up words, hoping that God will hear us, or loudly because he's asleep. 
He's not asleep. We also don't want to pray with our lips and not our minds, mumbling rituals we don't mean or understand. God hears and answers our prayers because of who he is. And that leads us to the first line of this beautiful prayer, our Father in heaven. As I said before, what we need primarily, not tips and tricks when it comes to prayer, we need a fresh appreciation of God. Who are we praying to, folks? The Lord's Prayer begins with this, begins with knowing with who he is and how to approach him. A.W. Tozer, great theologian, said this, what comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. Now, the commentator said, we dare not go any further in prayer until we know him as Father. J.I. Packer said this, you sum up the whole New Testament religion if you describe it as the knowledge of God as one's holy Father. If you want to judge how well a person understands Christianity... Find out how much they make of the thought of being God's child and having God as their father. Wow. I wonder what this feels like for us, God as father. You know, some of us have had great fathers, good fathers. Some bad, some absent. We all will bring something to the table Right? Something of our experience with this term, Father, won't we? Good fathers, they can really help us paint a picture for the good father. And I know every father in the room, that's what we desire, isn't it? Bad or absent fathers can make it harder to think positively of our good father. It's true. But it can also give us a longing for what was lacking, maybe even more so than others who had good fathers. That's my story, a longing for a father who loves and is there. Jesus taught his disciples, and that's us, every follower of Jesus, to call God Father. Now, this concept wasn't unheard of in the Old Testament, but in Jesus' day, not the practice at all whatsoever. I mean, they, they so revered God, the, the teachers, that even writing the word God, they would leave out some of the words because they dare not. It's God. So Jesus comes along and says, how should you address God when you pray? Father. And not just Father. He hammers his home using this word, this Aramaic word, Abba. Much less formal than Father, more like Dad. That's a crazy thought. Dad, we're to call the God of the universe Dad. Now, if you've been a Christian for a while, it's probably familiar to you, and I get that. But I tell you what, it sure wasn't to the disciples. And when we think about it, we must, we've got to be blown away by this. The eternal God who flung stars into space wants to be known as Dad. Jesus could have said, Creator, sustainer, judge, holy one, almighty one, right? He uses Abba, Dad. The reason we can call God Father is because we've been adopted. 
New Testament uses that term a lot. Even though God has created all people, and all people can call God their creator, it's not our automatic right to call God our Father, right? Because we've, we've all rejected his, his loving rule as Father. It's true. In our sin and our rebelliousness, I have, we have. Oh, but the good news is John 1 tells us, for all who believe in Jesus, for all who trust in his name, trust in him for forgiveness from that rebellious sin, God gives the right to be called children of God, to be adopted into his family as children. We relate to God as children relate to a loving father, not slaves. And there is a big difference, a massive difference, and this must radically approach, sorry, change how we approach him in prayer. I'm sure you're, you're, you're aware of this. Next week, next Saturday, you know what's happening? You know what's happening. The coronation of King Charles III. Oh, you're all excited, I can tell. I was uh, watching something on TV this week detailing the event and the remote control must have been broken just because I didn't change it. But the host was talking about something called royal protocol. Do you know what that is? Royal protocol. Good viewing if you're suffering from insomnia, let me tell you. You can tell I'm a staunch monarchist. Before you meet the king, there are certain things you got to know. Certain things you must do and must not do. What to say, what not to say, how to stand, how not to stand, how to present yourself, to bow, to curtsy, blah, blah, blah. We should show, we should show respect, of course. But this is not how we're actually to approach our Heavenly Father. Crazy. We are His children. He is our Father. My children get to call me Dad. No one else does. You can call, it, call me dad, I probably won't answer. <laughs> no one else gets to call me. It's my kids' right. It's their privilege to call me dad. And because of that, they've got access to me like no one else. Middle of the night, sore throat, middle of doing work, whatever, they can access. They have access to me, whether I like it or not. <laughs> you know this. The book of Hebrews in the New Testament tells us we can approach God's throne, King Charles III, God's throne with what? Fear? Is he going to cast me away? We can approach God's throne with confidence. Why? Because he's our father. Because of grace. Not because of who we are, because we're forgiven. <laughs> we don't have to fear God. We approach him as a child approaches a loving father. And no one can take that away from us. Right? That, that's part of who we are. God's my father. I'm his child. It's part of our identity. It's unchangeable. And because of that, oh, the freedom that comes with this, freed from having to impress him as we might feel we've got to impress our earthly parents, we don't have to earn his approval. It is a gift of grace. Oh, the freedom. We don't have to perform in order to earn our place in his family or strive in order for him to maybe, maybe hear our prayers. We can leave behind our orphan aloneness 
and rest in the fatherness of God, even the daddiness of God. You know, the Bible gives us different pictures of God as Father. And we have some resources this week to help you in this journey as we ask the Lord to teach us to pray. And as we close, I want to focus on this wonderful picture Jesus gives us in Luke 15 of God as Father in the parable of the lost sons. You know it. I encourage you, read it this week. Read it every day this week. You know the story. Maybe you don't. The younger son wants out from his father's house, influence, business. He approaches his father, asks for his inheritance early, insulting the father greatly. Amazingly, the father gives it to him. And the son takes off in search of a more exciting life. Well, he finds that life and he lives it. Doesn't end up being what he thought. And the money runs out pretty quick. He finds himself in a really sorry state where the money runs out. He's working for anything he can find. He has to feed pigs, the lowest of the low. While he's doing this, he has a revelation. What am I doing? Even the servants in my father's house live better than this. I know. I'll go home and I'll work as a servant in my father's place because he'll never take me back as a son after what I've done, but maybe a servant. Maybe I could do that. And he sets off and heads back home. And we're told, while he was still a long way off, his father saw him, the young son, and was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son, threw his arms around him, and kissed him. He reinstates him as a son. The father doesn't say, where have you been? How dare you treat me like this? You lost all that money. You can start paying it back right now. No. When Jesus taught about our Father in heaven, he chose to tell a story about a father who loved his son in the most lavish, compassionate, and may I say, I think, even foolishly generous way. This is our Father. This is your Father. This is my Father. This is our Father who longs to hear from us, who has made a way through Christ so we can, so we can intimately pray to our Father, our Father who art in heaven. No stern headmaster, no distant parent, uninterested older figure, our Father. Can we come before him right now? Let's pray to our Father together. Let's pray. Let's take a moment to reflect on this beautiful truth, this gift of grace, that God is our Father. Our Father in heaven, thank you for teaching us how to pray. 
Father, especially this week, may we appreciate more what it means to pray to you as our Father. Thank you that you've adopted us as your children, <laughs> that, that we're not orphans, that we don't have to prove ourselves to you, that you love us and accept us because of Jesus. We thank you for this gift of grace.